This is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Welcome back, beautiful people. Today we have a special guest on the show by the name of Tammy Valicenti. Tammy's become a new friend of Patrick and I since meeting her at a conference down in Florida and all three of us spending an entire evening together running around Animal Kingdom. Side note, if you haven't gotten to Disney and ridden the Avatar ride, you haven't lived. Tammy laughed uncontrollably, Patrick cried, and I dropped a record number of F-bombs at full decibel. It was that good. Anyway, Tammy's a psychotherapist practicing up in western Massachusetts. She has a private practice, Transformation Solution, where she incorporates a technique called EMDR to provide relief from trauma, anxiety, and panic, as well as enhanced performance. Tammy has worked with clients nationally and internationally over 20 years and is a claimed success. This is going to be great. Let's talk to our friend Tammy. Tammy Valicenti, welcome to Champagne Problems. So happy to be here, Patrick and Robbie. This is so exciting. <laughs> well, we are very happy to have you on. We're, it's great to see you again, and thank you for agreeing to uh, join us here today. All right, so we're going to do some rapid-fire questions to let, it, let our listeners get to know you. Um, we're going to fire them off. Here we go. Number one, what was your first live concert, and where was it? Uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, uh, Bon Jovi. Ooh, of course it was. <laughs> of course it was. I what think I might have passed out. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that a few times. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've missed a few encores. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what food is your guilty pleasure? Um, hmm, guilty pleasure. Uh, Fruit de mare, pasta, and everything seafood. Ooh, lovely. <laughs> why, why is that so guilty? That sounds I don't delicious. know because oh you know why because I think I think when I eat it I eat all of it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah understood uh, what comedy movie have you seen the most times most times you know I'm not a comedy movie kind of person okay good yeah and, not, and I don't you here right and I don't watch just, movies over and over it's not a thing yeah. you yeah. don't laugh you don't enjoy yeah yeah, yeah no I don't like to enjoy myself that way no. <laughs> What can make you lose your temper like a child? Uh, <laughs> my kids. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's children. a com that's a common answer. Very common, oh. very common. Um, what would be your favorite view? Like ocean. a vacation, yeah. always the ocean. God, mine too. I can yeah. watch waves for hours. Yeah, nice. All right, here we go. Mm -hmm. We're gonna dive in. Most of us that work in the therapy world have a story. <laughs> I think that's a pretty common theme, uh, or maybe, maybe even more so. We we we're very open about it. We we talk about our stories. At least I know I am. I'm 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 an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. My mom's like, dude, stop saying that so much. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Very open. Uh, so if if you don't mind and are open to it, would you give us a little bit of your journey as to what led you down the therapeutic path and and working in trauma um, specifically? Sure, I'd love to. Um, I, you know, I thought I thought a similar question the first time I did a podcast a couple of years ago and it caught me off guard um it was something I would talk about in um in the confines of you know a uh, intimate relationship or a close friend that sort of thing but um not something I was comfortable speaking about publicly um but I've 
practiced and learned and realized that uh, it's so important, you guys already know this, to be vulnerable and open. And that's where connection really happens. So um, my journey uh, began as a kid. I didn't know it. Um, <clears throat> I was immersed in a home um, of two parents who were trauma survivors and a dad who was an alcoholic. I didn't know any of that course at the time. And, um, but from a very young age, middle school or younger, I had a calling. It wasn't a, a, a thought in my head that I wanted to be a therapist, but it was, it was a, it was a full kind of soul pull of wanting to be a child therapist. And I, I, you know, the journey was not always smooth. Um, but I made, I made that, I made that happen. But um, coming out of specifically um, a home where there was secondary trauma and trauma and addiction, um, I <laughs> I stayed I stayed away from it in graduate school. I didn't want anything to do with it. <laughs> with what? With, with addiction what? treatment. Didn't want to. It was too close to home. I don't think I'd done enough work myself. Uh, um, but right out of graduate school, I worked in domestic violence a bit and then ran a rape trauma program out in Nassau County and absolutely took to it um, and really loved what I was doing. That's when I got trained in EMDR. And I realized while I was there, I can't do trauma work if I'm not doing addiction recovery work as well. So I immersed myself in that for a few years and the rest is history. Why, why is that? Can you speak on that a little bit about why it's hard to separate the two or why you needed to be schooled in both yeah so um you guys probably know the intersect the intersection between trauma and addiction is um is uh if there was a venn diagram it almost completely overlaps um based on on studies 75 to 90 percent of women in inpatient treatment have been sexually abused in their lifetime um if you've been in inpatient treatment or talked to people who have you know it's probably 100 percent. that's just self reporting um so the statistics are kind of all over it and back it up that the intersection is almost 100 percent. that folks who have found themselves addicted to substances um or other things um have a history of trauma i'm gonna go oh, go for it crazy with this. Oh. I, i'm just i just know just that throw, this throw the paper yeah, this is gonna all kinds of shit's gonna come up nice for me with this this is gonna, <laughs> just tell me just tell me when you don't want to answer any of these questions anymore. Go for it. Go um, for it. What's the literature look like in terms of of sexual trauma for women across the board? Well, if you look at reporting, it's a quarter of of women have been sexually abused in a lifetime. Um and a sixth of men. If you speak to the women in your life, <laughs> you will know it's a lot closer to 75%. Okay. Yeah, that's... Yeah. yeah. Right? Does that feel right? Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I would... And what, what do you think for men? If one um, six, Because I would think that they would really under-report. Right. Absolutely. There's a lot more shame there. Um, yeah. I'd say it's probably closer to a third. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so educate our listeners a little bit, Tammy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people who are not in our field hear the word trauma, but that's it. They don't quite maybe know what it is. Could, could mm -hmm. you speak more detailed yeah. as I don't to have trauma? I don't have trauma. No, right. neither do I. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, people well, are always uh, thinking of <laughs> People are always thinking about big T, what? Big yeah, no, I was just saying, like, let's take a good chunk of time and unpack that. 
because I think it's a really this is a really valuable conversation. Yeah, I, I absolutely what is agree. trauma? Yep. I think a lot of people make assumptions. Um, I don't have any trauma. I haven't experienced trauma uh, because they haven't, you know, been in a plane crash or been raped or um, any of those things that you, when you think of trauma. But really, trauma is none of those things. Trauma is what we experience as a result of an event, what happens inside of us as the result of an event. It happens on a neurobiological level. An event may or may not be traumatizing. I may experience, um, take a big trip. You and I are in a train wreck together. Um, and I come out with no symptoms of trauma. I'm fine. I don't have any strong reactions. I don't have nightmares. I don't have you know bad dreams or feelings in my body of it. And maybe you come out of that situation in a lot worse shape, kind of, so to speak. You know, more symptoms, a lot of anxiety, maybe some panic. Um, maybe some PTSD symptoms. Um, so it's not the event itself. The events can be possibly traumatizing when you look at it, but that's not what trauma is. It's what we're experiencing on neurobiological level in our bodies, something that overwhelms our ability to cope. That makes a lot, a lot of sense because often people will rebuke you know, whether they have trauma or, or experience trauma or all those kinds of things. And often people say, well, don't we all experience trauma? Don't we all, you know, learn by, you know, you burn your finger on the stove. Isn't that traumatic? Like, it, but it does boil down to how the, or what the response is and how you process mm -hmm. it. So take it back a step further. What is mm -hmm. the factor? What are the factors into why people process it differently? Uh, because we bring a lot of different experiences to the table, right? Um, not only what our biological history is, what our uh, neurobiological history is, how we came into the world, but also our experiences once once we got here. Um, also, I, I mean, there's so much research now being done on um, intergenerational trauma. So it's not just what you were born with neurobiologically, what you brought to the and what you experienced in this on, the, on this planet this day and age, but also what your ancestors have experienced. So would that, would that say, so say my, my father experienced some level of trauma, um, mm -hmm. and, 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 um, exuded care, uh, symptoms of that experience mm -hmm. as a parent to me, mm -hmm. you know, aside from kind of showing me how to respond to certain things, there's, you know, indirect kind of things that I'm soaking in from him that, factor mm -hmm. into how I might respond to a traumatic experience. Is that kind of what that partially what that yes. is? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. So that's behavioral. And then there's things happening in your, on, you know, on a cellular DNA level also that has may have been changed and shifted because of dad's experiences or his parents' experiences that come through in, in your body as well. So it's happening at a, at a, at various levels. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask the same question. <laughs> you right. articulated well, it here. better than I probably would have. <laughs> so thank you. Um, um, all right. Well, unless if you don't have anything, is there a spectrum? Is there a you know um, minor experiences as opposed to increased heavy experiences? Sure, and those and those and those vary. I mean, I think we can all we can all agree that that um, that rape or sexual abuse is a kind of a, what people say will be a big T trauma, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it would be traumatizing for me. 
yeah. what's considered a little T trauma, maybe um, bullying at school, or um, I came home after a difficult day of school, my mother wasn't there and like really couldn't show up in any way for me. You might say, oh, that's a little T trauma, but maybe that had a really huge impact on me. So yeah. it, it, when I when I think about that and and those differences and how we experience those in maybe adolescence or, you know, early adulthood. How is that related to childhood development, our infancy, maybe even, you know, in utero trauma? I got I don't want to dive too much into this, but I think I think it's I think it's important to, you know, give the listeners a little bit of education around maybe attachment theory and mm-hmm. I mean can you can you do that can you like kind of lay out like a layman's version mm-hmm. of attachment theory to where our listeners could maybe try to contextualize it absolutely there's there's so much here let's start with the ideal situation okay you you come into the world you your your parents planned you um pregnancy went well birth went well um, you come into the world and, um, and attachment goes well, you're feeding mom, moms, mom and dad are, are interacting with you while responding to your needs really well. You're going to have real secure attachment. And that dictates every relationship going forward. How so? Can you explain like how that imprint allows us to mm-hmm. flourish? Yeah. Why, why the security and how does that? How does that translate into a positive experience? Right. So those those early experiences allowed allowed you to have trust. Trust that when you're in stress, that someone's going to show up. You internalize that trust and safety, and you take that into your relationships. So um, you get into friendships or more int- intimate relationships later on in life, and you can trust that that when that person leaves, they are not going to do harm to you. You're going to trust that when you're with them in physical ways that it's going to be loving and okay. Um, If you were brought into this world in a way that say wasn't planned or um, mom was experiencing violence um, while you were an infant, you're going to take that stress and that type of attachment to every intimate relationship going forward as well. So you might not trust yourself. You may not trust that other person. You may not feel safe in intimate relationships. So you can kind of conceptualize all the things that could go wrong. Yeah. And I, I would assume that, that that would have a pretty big impact on how we experience or how we immediately cope with those little T traumas. Absolutely. Right. right. Yeah. Right. So if you don't have that secure attachment and that feeling of safety and trust within yourself, um, a lot of um, you don't have that ability then to um, as easily self-soothe. Um, you also may interpret things that are happening in the world as something negative when in fact it's not negative. So you may react in a outsized way um, or maybe feel that this person's against you or this the world is kind of against you. So you already have a different a different world view. Sure. Are there statistics around kind of the general population as to who is walking around with unprocessed trauma and, and what more so I'm alluding to is mm-hmm. because I would, if I were to generalize or, or uh, hypothesize, it would be that most people don't 
don't grow up in the in the home that you described initially as the idealistic way. No, no. I would say probably a majority of us have more in the in the dysfunctional space or what mm -hmm. or the, the proper term for that. So mm -hmm. a lot of us are walking around with unprocessed trauma, symptoms of trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you I mean, I guess the question is, how do you go through life processing things healthily? I mean, do we all need therapy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I know we do, right? I, well, I, I, ha I happen to agree. Sure. I, so the, gen the general to answer your question, um, initial question, 15, I think it's 15, 20% of us or 15 to 25% of us will have PTSD in our lifetime. Is, does that mean that, um, that the rest of us aren't experiencing some level of trauma? No. Um, you know, for those who have substance use disorders, it's 75%, I think, or 80% have, um, uh, qualify for a PTSD diagnosis. So it's a lot, it's a lot broader, but um, I think there's a lot more subtle ways that trauma shows up in our lives. You know, we think we think of um, when we think of trauma, we think oh, right nightmares, um, increased heart rate, um, flashbacks, those sorts of things, difficulty sleeping. But um, it's much more subtle than that. Ongoing trauma changes our neurobiology, which changes our biology. So I may have issues with my thyroid, I may have high blood pressure or diabetes, all specifically linked to a nervous system that is in overdrive and, um, and, and more activated than it would typically be or we would like it to be at rest. God. So, yeah, th this is, I want to dive into this more um, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I, I feel like, you know, w without you know, talk, having to talk about full-blown addiction. I mean, I, I just, I feel like so many of us, and, and not even just with alcohol. I mean, alcohol is one thing that obviously we, we use to cope with some of that nervous system, you know, reactions. But, I mean, we have so many different things now that, that we use that, you know, aren't necessarily healthy coping skills but we we utilize those things to to manage those you know those responses and we don't know we're doing it you know because we haven't identified hey my nervous system's out of whack because i have some type of g developmental trauma that i didn't even know i had and i've integrated these coping skills that you know work for the most part but they have some negative consequences that i just don't you know, I've never really dealt with or never really, they never really mattered or it wasn't bad enough to address. I've just, I feel like there's so many of us that are walking around in that, in that paradigm or dynamic and we don't even know we're in it. I think that's true, especially in a culture that the norm at the, at the very baseline of our culture is so toxic and so unhealthy. Yeah, well, I mean, we live in a world that is designed to artificially soothe, to, mm -hmm. to make more yeah. comfortable, to not feel pain, to mm -hmm. feel pleasure nonstop over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And so all we're doing is suppressing what needs to get out. Right. I mean, 24 hours a day. 
Absolutely. I totally agree. <laughs> right, right. I mean, yes. we've had lots of guests on our show who talk, specifically Anna Lemke, who was down at, um, down at the conference, uh-huh. um, talk about the pleasure versus pain and, and, mm-hmm. and just how we just cover up so much pain, which obviously has the adverse reaction of more pain. Right, right. We, the, the, the alternative is true. I think our, our inclination and what's kind of makes sense is, is to avoid it, then we'll feel better. It actually increases the pain, as you know. The only, only way out is through. And it is never, 100% across the board, never as scary as you think it's going to be. That's right. Yeah, let's, right? let's let's talk let's talk about that because we need to de yeah, you know de- demystify that because yeah. it it feels like you know when I think about even my own habits and behavioral addictions and things that I use that aren't healthy but aren't really problematic or I would consider to be problematic to keep my stresses at bay instead of actually addressing them um, or or engaging in something that's going to change my behavior in a positive way how what's the best way to talk about that in terms of engagement mm, what do you think, what do you think like well it sounds like what you're talking about is unfinished stress responses if i'm if i'm using my phone or sex or drugs or alcohol or any of those things to suppress um, negative emotions or stress i'm not allowing my body to finish the stress response what happens when I don't finish the stress response? It's all stored in there. So over and over and over, if I'm self-soothing with those things and I'm not allowing my body to finish that, it is um, building and building and building. And what shows up is, like I said before, um, fibro problems, IBS, cancer, I mean, all those things. Um, when, you, but, when you talk about fin- finish it, what do you mean? Um, so, good question. So we all we all have as as um, as humans we all have um, what, what what's considered the stress stress response. So something happens and we uh, we get stressed out. So heart rate goes up, um, and we're kind of in a fight fight flight or freeze mode. And so heart rate goes up, uh, temperature I think goes up, digestion slows or stops. All these things happen, and if we cut that off before it finishes, in other words, don't allow it to go through our body. And oftentimes this happens in, in mammals as well. You'll see when a, um, like a bird or a deer is stunned, they'll shake and then get up and run off. If we don't allow those things to happen, that shaking, um, that nervousness, the, um, the movements in our body, it will get stored. So all, all the right. things that we're talking about stop all of that, right? Yeah, exactly. So, because you often hear, you know, oh, the, all this bottled up stuff, and mm-hmm. and I mean, I guess I'm trying to perceive what's the stuff. <laughs> Is there like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I get that there's like hormonal, you know, there's there's chemicals being released and there's things being released. Is that kind of part of it that once it releases and and creates that that uh, response where that shows up in different ways. Mm-hmm. Is it the chemicals that are stored up that are, that need to get out that are creating the responses? I mean, like how do, how do you make that? What is that stuff that's bottled? That's a good question. I, I do think, I do think like what you're talking about is, is it's chemicals. It's also energy. Energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And thoughts probably. 
Sure. And when suppressed thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. But, but thoughts, but thoughts create energy, right? So it's the the thoughts are, are in and of themselves benign. Those are fine. It's what it creates in our body. I always say the story you tell yourself, the story I tell myself is, Oh my God, that was so horrible, horrific. And now I'm ramped up. If the story I tell myself was, wow, it really came out of that. Okay. You know, it was tough as I was going through it, but damn, I'm a, I'm a survivor. Now, my, now, even through that storytelling, my body's feeling something different, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I heard a spiritual teacher, I can't remember who it was, say one time that it's not the actual thoughts that's the issue. It's, it's well, number one, it's not being aware that you're thinking. And, and two, actually being scared of the thoughts is the thing that is kind of the trigger that, that brings along negative emotion. That makes sense. Right. Is, is the fear of the thought. Well, exactly. Well, that that oh, yeah. that alludes to anxiety, right? It's like the fear of the, uh, or at least a panic attack. And in, in, in my experience, it's like my panic attacks are brought on by the fear of a panic attack. Always, yes. <laughs> it's yes. Like Once you type your first, like yes. I can't sleep because I'm worried I'm not going to be able to sleep. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you got it. You got it. And you know, as far as I'm concerned, we can we can throw out the diagnostic and statistical manual. You know, there yeah, isn't anxiety. Good. There isn't depression there isn't you know all these lists there isn't panic all this stuff the bottom line is these are normal reactions to traumatic events it's all trauma every last and when we don't let it run its course we traumatize ourselves even more through Mm. maladaptive coping skills i think that's a yes it's a piece of it absolutely absolutely you know and, and and sometimes it's not that we purposefully don't allow it to run its course it's not safe to yeah yeah right so not very not good timing right i just <laughs> i don't really want to <laughs> now's not a good time thanks right right well vulnerability is not safe in a lot of those situations right? yeah can we unpack that when you when you say it's not safe to do that why why is that the case why do you think that's the case and i mean you can use some anecdotes but like well, I was thinking about, you know, uh, the house I grew up in. Is it, is it, is it safe? Is it safe to show emotion? Um, no, it was not safe in my house to show emotion. Any emotion that was shown was not um, appropriate. I was never shown healthy anger. Um, I didn't see people cry. So I think that has a really strong impact. So if, if, if things are happening in my childhood and I'm not allowed to express my anger, appropriately if i um can't freely cry where does that go yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and now as parents Mm -hmm. it's it's just so right in front of specifically for me like i mean my daughter and i'll i'll get open about this like she has trouble expressing and that is because of me (laughs) it's because i grew up in a household where oh buckle up you know right Right. You know, get it, get it together. You know, we, right. now's not the time, you know, look, look like you got it. Look like you've been here before, boy. Right. Right. And also, <laughs> right. you know, if, if I, if I express vulnerability, it might be a weakness that someone's going to go after. So it's a, it's a really adaptive way of protecting myself. Yeah. But you can see how taking that then into relationships, we were talking about before about attachment and things happen in patterns in our childhood that we then take into relationships. That doesn't look like someone who's traumatized, but in fact, it's a result of traumatic events and situations chronically that then show up in my life. Yeah. Right? 
interracial pattern yeah when i think about this in terms of alcohol use and just the the common pattern of you know an adult going to work from nine to five has this kind of low-level chronic stress and they fall into the habit of you know getting home at 5 p.m and cracking a beer or having a glass of wine i mean it does that fit that kind of model that you're talking about and not letting that stress process itself and and do you think if you just kind of remove the alcohol that like we talk about diet, sleep, and exercise all the time. That that level of stress, if we get enough exercise, if we get enough sleep, that's what we need to process that stress? Or is it more than that? I would absolutely agree, but I also would say it's more than that. And I think that's when we go back to our culture. Um, you know, why are we leaving the house and working nine to five and putting our bodies through that much stress? I think... I think COVID changed a lot of things for people. I'm more, you know, I'm not personally, but but for a lot of people, I'm working from home. I can take a nap at 2 p.m. I can go for a walk, breathe some fresh air in the woods, come back refreshed, and I'm not pushing myself through mm-hmm. that day, right? To get yeah. at, to get done, to get out. Um, I think we're taught in this culture not to listen to our bodies. So I think maybe throughout the day, if, if it's something you have to do, you know, working that nine to five and then you're coming home crack, cracking the beer, as you said, um, you know, maybe if I'm finding some things throughout that day to do and really prioritizing that and listen, it's not a popular thing, you know, <laughs> yeah. but if we're listening to our bodies, um, then it's going to be something typically, I think that's not uh, so well accepted in our culture of work, work, work until you, until you crash. That is, um, yeah, that's that's that that's fascinating because it just I, I think a lot about people who uh, display success, display functionality, display uh, or present yeah. as healthy. It you looks know, like, like it works. Yeah, it's like I, dude, I get up early. I I I, grind. I go grind and I work all day. Then I come home and, dude, I, I I hang out with my kids and I cook dinner and then I, you know, yes, I might have a couple glasses of wine to get to sleep. Well, well, there 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 it is, like. There's no alone time. There's no time where you are in your own self and you're spending your entire existence busy. And so right. we, we talk about processing and, and, and getting in touch and learning and listening to your bodies. And, and well, there it is. It's, we it stay busy happen. all day, every single day. And we're never allowed to, to let that stuff out. That's right. I think we're also yeah. talking about connection to self. like um, Which or, is required, you know. right? Yeah, well, yeah, and connection to self isn't just isn't just connection to me, but I mean connection to soul, which is connecting to higher power, to universe, to you, to nature, to all of it. And if I'm not taking moments in my day to do that, well, I'm dying a slow death. Mm-hmm. 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 You got that right, Tammy. Um, all right, so there was a question I wanted to ask a few uh, about six questions back. Um, yeah. So. Let's do the little bit of the P- PTSD piece and, and okay. kind of the difference between, you know, maybe low level t- or small T and big T and then PTSD. Like, mm-hmm. give, give us a little bit of a distinction between those. Okay. So, um, you know, full-blown PTSD, you're looking at um, positive and neg- negative symptoms. So avoidance of things, 
um, maybe some depression, depressive symptoms, um, uh, and more intrusive symptoms like uh, nightmares, flashbacks, that that kind of thing. Um, and then, I mean, that that's that's full blown PTSD. But but like I mentioned before, you're going to see other symptoms or reactions to trauma that people don't even consider reactions to trauma, like avoidance of emotions or not expression of, um, of, of emotions or crying. Um, it may show up in patterns and relationships. Is, is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah. 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 Or physical yeah. health problems. Right. Everything, like we mentioned before, from thyroid issues to cancer, to IBS, um, migraines, uh, diabetes, all of those things directly related to, um, to stress and to, um, to trauma. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're chronically traumatized society. And I think the more you're able to tune in and notice your responses and your patterns to input and your coping mechanisms, the more you'll be able to address what's happening. I think a lot of people, I think most people are walking around not even aware of the, you know, the impact of the experiences um, is having on their bodies and their, um, and their relationships. Why, why do you think that is? Do you think it, do you think it's like a, like a collective conscious, like coping mechanism? It's like, we're not ready to deal with it yet. I think in some way, I think we've been trained in this really um, unhealthy, like you mentioned, go, 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 not with myself. I'm listening to a podcast and running, doing this, um, uh, you know, all of these things. Um, I think we've been trained to think this is kind of normal, but normal doesn't mean that it's healthy. Well, and that it's, I, yeah. I think it also comes naturally in the sense of, kind of the response to, to pain. I mean, we mm -hmm. all try to avoid pain stemming from, you know, years back in evolution. It's like avoid mm -hmm. pain, seek pleasure. And now we're super intellectual, adaptive, smart as hell beings that have learned how to do that as effectively as possible to the point that it's, it's hurting us. I agree. Well, with one, with one exception, I'm wondering about the smart as hell part. You know, maybe you're talking about smart as hell, you know, in our brains, in our, in our conscious minds, but I don't think, I don't think we're smart as hell when it comes to body mind connection. No, I don't think, right. Most of us are walking good, around. <laughs> we're, we're all yeah. walking around. Most of us from neck up, like nothing else exists. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. So let's dive into uh, EMDR. All right. What do you want to know? Well, everything. Fix me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Robbie, take a couple, well, take a couple yeah. deep breaths, Robbie. First of all, let's, I mean, we need to educate listeners because we're talking about trauma. We're talking about things that probably every one of our listeners understands and can apply to themselves. And then it's like, all right, now what? What do we do well, about it? Yeah. What are we going to do? How do we fix yeah. it? What do we, yeah. So, and you're the, you're the expert. So I hear. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, so basics of EMDR is this, uh, it was a, um, it was a technique discovered by Dr. Francine Shapiro about 30 years ago. Um, and I think she was a doctoral student at the time. She discovered that when she thought of something that was disturbing and moved her eyes back and forth, it became less disturbing. So she got curious about that. She developed EMDR, which at the time was specifically only used for trauma. 
And it combined um, holding on to a memory, perhaps a thought memory, something in your mind, pairing that with a sensation in your body, emotions that go with that, and then bilateral stimulation. At that time, the bilateral or back and forth stimula stimulation was strictly eye movement. Now, I want to note that that um, during REM sleep, your eyes are moving rapidly back and forth. And that time you're taking, you're taking short-term memory and storing it into long-term. Hmm. Trauma is a, is, is, is a, is a, is a long-term short-term memory problem because, you know, if, if you've worked with, with, or know about and talk to vets, you'll know a lot of times the last time they were in that war or in that, in that moment was last night in their in their in their dreams right so emdr takes that present day experience of that traumatized body and stores it in the past where it belongs wow god mm -hmm. that is just insane <laughs> it is so cool. You know, it's even cooler. Like when you experience, it's almost like when you experience, it's almost hard to believe. Like I just, I did, I did a session yesterday with a woman who's been carrying around something since she was four or five. And by the end of the session, this was a 50 minute session. We didn't, we weren't doing this for an hour and a half. Trust. By the end of the session, she's like, well, where did that go? It was like on a, on like on a, on an affected level. I was at a 10. Like it was absolutely like huge for me. And now it's at a zero. Yeah. Oh my God. So I, I have permission to disclose this on behalf of my wife, but my mm -hmm. wife recently worked with you and I, I, you know, and you guys had your initial kind of get to know you session and then your first EMDR session and Anya texted me right after your first session and was like, I can't believe this. Like, this was incredible. Mm -hmm. And, and, and when I got home and got to talk to her about it, I was like, so when when are you guys meeting again? She was like, we're done. <laughs> she was she was like, we went through this memory, and by the end of the session, I had no emotional response to it. And she was yeah. like, and then I asked Tammy, like, is it gonna come back? And she was like, no, no, it's, it's done. It's in the past. Yeah, it's in the past. Yeah, and and you know, I I have friends that are EMDR therapists, and I, I but I haven't ever really dug into it too much and didn't know that it, it can be that immediate and that effective and I, I don't know if that's because you're a freaking jedi or is that, is that is <laughs> partially which i'm partially. sure which i know you are but like, oh thanks but but i mean is that is that is that kind of common in terms of emdr therapy to be able to resolve something that quickly yes absolutely a lot of things if you don't have uh, a history, a significant history of developmental trauma. Most things will be resolved in one to three sessions. I think the research might say might say five, but I don't, I'm not finding that at but all. You, but you can do. It. Yeah, <laughs> I can do it too. <laughs> <laughs> the research says five. Listen, but... I'm really yeah. impatient. Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. want to get it done. <laughs> I don't want anyone dependent on me for anything. Let's no. just do it. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. So. Well, just give us a, I mean, like, I'm going to ask questions that our listeners would probably ask. Like, why the yeah, hell is not, why, why isn't everybody doing this? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I wish people, I wish people would. Well, first, it can be really expensive, right? Not everyone has access to, um, to healthcare and to, um, to really good mental health treatment. 
I say mental health because that's like the common term, but honestly, like I've said before, I, I'll scream it from the rooftops. This is a bio, um, a neurobiological issue, not a psychological or mental health issue. It's in the body, right? Yeah, yeah. We're moving it. Um, so yeah, every everyone everyone should, but not everyone has access. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Got world it. would be a more peaceful um, and healthy place if, if we all did. All right, I'm, start, God, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to wear t-shirts. Yeah, I mean, how cool would that be if like we had like a... You know, like you had like a class in high school where yeah. you you did EMDR therapy to process all your trauma. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So another question. So when when um, it shifts from short term to to long term or past, now there's hopefully no negative emotional response or sim- or traumatic symptomatic response, but you still probably have emotions around this event no that's the um, point i mean right. if, like say i lost my mother i'm still sad right and it creates some sort of feeling uh losing your mother may be uh, that's an interesting example you, you you still may have some grief but it's not going to be outsized grief um what does you outsized know, because, mean um meaning Meaning, you know, maybe mom died seven or 10 years ago. And um, when you first meet me, you're still really suffering and your days are difficult and having trouble sleeping, you know, X, Y, and Z. All that won't be happening with really good EMDR treatment. But sure, when you think of mom, you may be teary, you may be sad. Sure, that, that's a normal human response. Which are not um, traumatic symptoms or trauma symptoms, got it. Right, those are normal symptoms. But um, I don't know if I can take another example. Um, I could, well, I can use an example from the other day, working with a woman uh, touched by a family member, um, process that through, can think of that without having emotion around it. Meaning there's also no sensation in the body because emotions are energy, right? So yes, she can think of that incident and no longer any emotions around that. It's a fact, it happened to me. I can <laughs> tell you about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. can talk about it just not feeling it. I knew how horrible it was. I remember how awful the experience was, but in terms of EMDR therapy, is there is there like a reintegration model that's attached to the back end of that? Cuz I would imagine like, you know, for for kind of what you just described, it's like I I've had this trauma, the, you know, family member touching me, it's created fear in relationships and all other areas of my life, fears of intimacy, fears of sexual relationships, all this Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. So you go in, you have the memory processed, Mm -hmm. the emotional response isn't there anymore, but then I'm still like kind of raw and I don't really have the skills to engage in the relationship Mm -hmm. stuff that I was Mm -hmm. avoiding or that I stayed away from or, you know, does that make sense? It does, but I don't, I don't, I'm, I might be disagreeing with you here. I mean, are you making assumptions that you're, you're still raw or is it something you experienced? No, 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 no. I'm just saying like, I, 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 I would, and maybe raw wasn't the right term. Maybe uh, um, I would be inexperienced at being able to be mm-hmm. intimate. Right, right. You know? Whether that's emotional or physical or any of that. Yeah, yes. but like, is there like a therapeutic model that kind of comes after? It's like, okay, well now that you're you don't have this emotional attachment to these experience or or this area of your life Mm -hmm. now you got to go out and 
Do it. I get and, it. And engage. Like, what does that look like? <laughs> Great question. Well, you're talking, I think in some ways what you're talking about is like, oh, I've got this deficit now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right? or, I don't, I mean, it's like, it's like exposure therapy kind of, it's like, okay, say you're afraid, afraid of walking on or crossing the street. Uh-huh. And you do the EMDR. Now you can walk across the street. Is there still going to be like this, like avoidance of the street? Like, or is it like, okay, well now you got to go out here and walk across the street five times so you can kind of get used to it. No, you know, no. You know, can you, you know, can your listeners see me shaking my head? If you yeah, can yeah. walk, then you yeah, should yeah. be fine. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. No, but that, I'm, I'm saying it's got to be more complex than that for like relationship some, issues, some sexual instance. trauma. Like, you know, I, from where you're sitting, I would totally agree with you. But yeah. from where I'm sitting, no, it's not that it's not as complicated as that. No. Yeah. And I've worked with countless people, again, around sexual trauma who I'm thinking of one person like, um, you know, then is is off, you know, really connected sexually and intimately with her husband and wasn't able to before. Yeah. Um, we so, so the, the, the what happens is I'll explain what happens. So, so um, you might be able to understand this a little better. Once that's cleared out, we have this, and this is where my my EMDR with parts or IFS, um, as it's called now, yeah, yeah, internal yeah. family system comes in, right? Okay. So once that's cleared out, what's left is that the self capital S self. Got and it. that self, right, we're born with all yeah, knowing. Fearless. Exactly. All knowing, all safe, all okay, able to connect in beautiful ways. So when those protectors sit down a little bit, Mm-hmm. And they and they do with EMDR. That self is able to to merge and to be more present majority of the time. And that self knows how to be, uh, how to connect to yourself, say this, so okay. to speak, right? Because that's what and I was thinking. Yeah. I, I yeah. was thinking like those protectors would still kind of be there, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just kind of standing around, like just out of habit, even though there's not an emotional response. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And but I yeah. guess that answers yeah. my question. Yep. Yeah, I think that happens also with just strict EMDR work, but um, I do a lot of kind of IFS interweaves in there. Um, one of the most important things I found more more recently is that a lot of times we connect to those kind of younger parts or inner children um, and, kind of in, and and reparent them and give them what they need in those moments or in those in those traumatic events that we're processing. But what I discovered, it's really important that those younger parts know that they're, they're that we are there with them, that they can connect to us as well. Otherwise, what we're giving them is kind of useless because they're not receiving it. Can you can you do like a five minute elevator pitch on internal family systems, real quick, uh, just for yeah. maybe not five minutes, but <laughs> a couple, couple minutes. I don't right. know. If Twenty I minutes. minutes. Go. <laughs> <laughs> IFS stands for Internal Family Systems. Uh, Dick Schwartz is the founder of that about 10 years ago. Um, and he was working with folks who were dealing with eating disorders. And I think the story goes that he may have been a little frustrated because um, they weren't getting better. Uh, and he did a lot of family systems work, meaning brought the family in as the family as a system wasn't um, wasn't well, wasn't healthy. And by doing this family systems work, the the theory is, and maybe the research backs it up, that the whole the whole system um, gets well, is elevated. Um, but he was frustrated because the eating disorders were not improving. But he was really curious because the um, his his patients kept saying, "Well, this part of me or that part of me." Um, so he kind of flipped the family systems work on its head and saw it as um, an internal piece that we all have these parts. 
starting with S capital self, uh, capital S, S self capital S, um, and uh, they, the, and then and then all these other parts which are protectors and firefighters, um, almost as if we're as almost as if we're multiple. In fact, we're not, but we're all born with the with the with the self, and then because of experiences, these other parts get frozen in time or exiled off, and we're kind of running around with these protector parts um, and not from our full open-hearted capital S self. Mm, yeah, sense. those are like our internal coping mechanisms for the trauma. You got it. Okay. Right. Mm. Right. And with EMDR, those are able to step back and we're able to reach the exiled parts, heal them, and then bring them to the present. Mm. Mm. Full integration, Robbie. Uh huh. Yes. All right. So then <laughs> let me ask this. Um, <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, and, and this is, this will come more personal. Uh, I know we talked about doing like a quick session, but I, I'd rather just kind of ask a couple of personal questions. Um, mm -hmm. so I, since I was 19 have dealt with panic and anxiety, uh, mm -hmm. over various things. And, um, it, you know, it started with, um, a relationship and it, you know, I, I have always kind of defined my experience as I screwed up a relationship, uh, because of my, whatever, my addiction, you know, I was drinking too much. I was a little big for my britches. My ego took over. I fucked up a relationship. All of a sudden I'm heartbroken. Uh, I've got super low self-esteem, low confidence. I'm having all this anxiety. I'm throwing up when I get nervous. Now I'm throwing up because I don't want to throw up in public and it's making me throw up in public and Jesus Christ. Uh -huh. uh, so, you know, all these things. And then that, you know, kind of comes and goes throughout my life over the next 25 years. Mm -hmm. um, more related to times where things aren't going very well naturally. Um, and so let's take this back to trauma. Mm -hmm. And how my, um, you know, experiences have contributed to this one. But two, I, I want to just say that I think a lot of my trauma is, I don't want to call it low grade, but maybe less um, extreme and then over long periods of time, whatever that mm -hmm. is called. Um, mm -hmm. And that would be as a result of growing up in a, in a addictive household and, and where there wasn't like massive, you know, physical abuse and that kind of stuff. But there were big fights and there was inconsistency and, and lacks of lack of security and honesty and all those things. Um, so hit me. What you know, it, it <laughs> fix him, damn, he fixed <laughs> yeah. So if we're meeting for the first time, what are we doing? Right, right, right. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, I would I would take a more and I, I don't want to do this now. But I would take a more careful history, and and True. with EMGR, at least for me, it's not. Um, I, I can spend fifteen or twenty minutes. It's not multiple session history. So I just, I just want to. I would, and don't have to answer it now. I want to know a little bit more about uh, mom's pregnancy, your birth, your early time, and and you know, leading up to this relationship because you brought so many experiences to it. Um, I also want to know in that time when the panic first showed itself, what were the emotions that go with it. Where did you notice that in your body? And then I'd float you back a little bit. Was there an earlier time that you felt this in your body and those emotions went with it? You're going to find it and that's fairly easy. And then I would go for, I would go for that earlier experience and, tar and target that because I think that's where the, the, um, the gold mine. And I think, I think what happened in your, with your relationship later on is kind of like the canary um, in the coal mine. <clears throat> We're going to go back to the coal mine and process whatever that earlier piece is. Okay. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And mm -hmm. I can probably already start to kind of take us yeah. to a period that was a little, little messy. There we go. And then, and then we're going to process that. You're going to feel it all. Um, you're going to bilateral stimulation, tap, 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 or, or buzzers in your ears back and forth. Um, you're going to, you're going to be able to go back to that moment, not have it activate you. But we're going to do one more thing. We're going to take little Robbie out of that house or wherever he experienced that. Right. We're going to bring him to the present with you or wherever that little kid wants to be. And that's where you used so beautifully, Patrick, um, the word integration. That's where the integration happens. Right now, that younger part is exiled off from you and you don't have those those resources that he brings to the table. Or even you know, for me, some of those younger parts, it's just about joy. And she's spinning and doing cartwheels. And and if that part's exiled, I'm not feeling that so much in my life. Right? Yeah, yeah. I want her. We yeah. talk a lot yeah. about that. Like that girl, little girl. Yeah. yeah. You get it? I not do. Allowed, not allowed to play. I do. Yeah, right. Wow. Sam, shut up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you for doing that, Tammy. All right. We will talk uh, off air. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> Love to. What's your relationship to alcohol? Do you drink? I do drink. You do yeah, drink. Yeah. And I, and I am in the place, you know, I've been listening to your podcast a bit. I am in that sober, curious place. And it, it feels as though... Um, it just feels like too much part of my life, um, you know, from, I guess, I guess just full stop. And so, uh, and as an adult child and alcoholic, it's something that's come up periodically in, in my life, you know, from college to, um, you know, to more recently. And I had a supervisor who once said, you know, your relationship to, um, to money is always going to be uh, a place of stress where you never really fully resolve that. I'm going to add alcohol to that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, God, this is going to be a big question. If you go through EMDR uh -oh. and you, and you, and you process and you come out on the other side and, and you don't have all these big reactions and perhaps we're drinking over that stuff. Could yeah. people successfully drink again? I've only seen it once. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think well, that's gonna be me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, let's right. give it a shot. Right. You know? yeah. I think you've changed your biology at that let's, point. Right? Let's make it two. I mean, you've only seen it once in the sense that you've seen it fail, or you've only witnessed someone try it once. Um, I've seen people try it many times. I've uh, only seen it happen successfully once. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> well, that's yeah. that's that's another hour and a half conversation. Um, it is. So have is. you um, ever gone through periods where you dial back your drinking or decrease it? Yes. What, what kind of benefits have you seen been doing that? Um, I sleep better. I physically feel better in the morning. Um, uh, my memory is better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I perform better um, on my runs and in my triathlons. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, all positive, no, yeah, just all, all good stuff. Yeah, huh? yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Good. We ask this to all of our guests, but um, well, why do you care so much? Wow, why do I care so much? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I, it's what an interesting question. Um, I don't. It's I don't. It's not even a choice. Like uh, I. Yeah. I I just bring. Uh, everyone i meet and i connect with i fall for in some ways i just i just love people i want to walk i want to walk with you and 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 allow you to live a 
better life, whatever that is for you, whatever you define that as. And I want to help you find that. Mm. 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 Love it. I feel you, Tammy. Tammy. I feel, we feel you. you. We feel you big time. You said, Patrick, when when we were at Disney, at one point you said, I just, and I, and I could feel like how, like you felt this in every cell of your body. I just want to figure out like what that moment is for everyone or get, like help everyone like find that moment of like, I don't want this anymore. I want to change. I want to, or that the moment when you grasp for something different, you know, what is that? Oh. And like you, like you were fully in it. Like you, like that was your whole body was like, I just want that. <laughs> it's right after the Avatar, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Freaking oh. God, I want to get one of those things in my house. Oh, so no. bad. Uh. All right, Listen, Tammy. If you guys could get me to like that and yeah. really like Disney, which I always thought I would always avoid. You guys are absolute miracle workers. You can do anything. Yeah, we're <laughs> a blast. And if anybody out there listening knows how to buy an avatar ride or build one in a yeah. home well uh, if call any, me if anybody knows how to make five million dollars to pay for it that'd be great too uh, i just need one thing with a screen and a chair or whatever yeah i don't yeah. need a whole well the we'll, whole ride we'll work on that <laughs> tammy valicenti ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for coming on you you my friend are the miracle worker and we appreciate all the info you've provided and the insight and the passion and the inspiration. We love you. Yeah, thanks for being being there for us. Thank you both. From one miracle worker to two others. (laughs) The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit smsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit dilworthcenter.org or call 704-372-6969 or visit theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.